0: The views and opinions expressed by our speakers or guests in this podcast episode are their own and don't necessarily reflect the stance of the show or its host. We're all about sharing diverse perspectives and stories. But remember that the ultimate vibe of how I discovered my gift remains rooted in our own unique journey. Thanks for tuning in.
1: I couldn't sleep at night knowing that I know people that are struggling, knowing that I know people that want a better life and not say what I know. I just, that's just not me.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, there
1: might be a lot of people out there like that. If I don't do something now, what's going to happen to my grandchild? Mm. I only got one right now, but what's going to happen if, if, you know, if they're raping us like they're raping us right now, what's going mm. to happen uh, to the rest of our people? If we continue to acquiesce to injustice, injustice will take us over. What is that saying about the only, only thing that it takes for bad men to, to prevail is for good men to do nothing? And there's another one that I like. It's like, if you are an honestly mistaken man. If an honestly mistaken man stumbles across the truth, from that point on, he is no longer mistaken, or he is no longer honest.
0: Uh, I searched all over the world, struggling to find it. Then I met my boy, David E. Simon. Yeah, I searched all over the world, struggling to find it. Then I remember, boy, David E. Simons, yeah. Discover my gift, yeah, yeah. Discover my gift, yeah, yeah. But David E. Simons, yeah. Discover my gift, yeah, yeah. Discover my gift, yeah.
2: Welcome to another episode of How I Discover My Gift with yours truly, David D. Simons. I am excited, my excited is excited, to have today's guest on the show, uh, Dr. Sherry Peel-Jackson. She's a retired certified public accountant, certified fraud examiner, and former IRS agent with over... 35 years of experience in public private and governmental accounting so that means she knows what she's talking about she is a financial and business strategist who conducts basic and advanced financial education seminars across the u.s she also consults with businesses and individuals in the areas of irs audit preparation wealth creation debt elimination and overall financial literacy she conducts workshops for various establishments, including private companies, nonprofit organizations, and churches. Dr. Jackson has over 35 years of experience with church accounting and policy, um, pastors, personal finance, and church and wealth creation strategies. Dr. Jackson has a bachelor's in business administration from the University of Georgia, a master's of arts in Christian studies from Luther Rice University in Lithuania, Georgia, and a doctor of ministry in Christian education from Anders- Andersville. Theological Seminary in Camilla, Georgia. She also successfully completed the Howard University School of Business Executive Leadership in Ministry Training course, and she will continue to assist people from all walks of life in the financial arena to promote financial and personal freedom and advancement. Dr. Jackson is also an author and speaker. She's the author of several books, including How to Escape the Rat Race, Four Keys to Acquire the Life of Your Dreams, How to Stick It to the IRS, Confessions from a Former Insider, and Church Wealth, Ministry, Health, uh, Five Pillars of Ministry, Growth, and Financial Wellness. Dr. Jackson has developed educational courses that will empower and enlighten individuals and churches about proper techniques to go beyond surviving to thriving in life and ministry. She's currently teaching entrepreneurship, debt-free living, audit, and asset protection and survival in the new economy. She lives in Stone Mountain, Georgia. So thank you so much for coming on the show, Doctor Jackson. Truly an honor and a pleasure.
1: Thank you so much, David, for having me on your show.
2: Absolutely. I, I, uh, we had a fascinating conversation, and and I, I just said we got to continue this in a podcast format so the world can hear. Um, so, Doctor Jackson, this this whole show is called "How I Discover My Gift," and it's all about gifting and understanding one's gifts. Um, how can one, you know, develop their gift, discover their gift? and eventually distribute or market their gift. And I think you've done all these things masterfully, but I want to take people through your journey, right? You 35 year experience in history. Let's go to your, your story. If we could start at the Genesis, I want, I want you to take us to a, a young girl. I don't know if you were in Georgia at the time when you were a young, <laughs> little five, six year, wh- wherever it started.
1: Really. <laughs> okay. So it started in Detroit, Michigan.
0: Okay. Yes, yeah,
1: born in Detroit. And, um, you know, between the ages of, I believe, one and four or one and five, that's when you, that's your formative years. So I was formed in Detroit, manufactured mm. in Detroit, and uh, always had this thing for justice. And even when we moved to Atlanta, I think I was eight and a half or nine, close to nine years old when we moved to Atlanta, I was still very keen, keenly aware of injustice. So for example, our next door neighbor at the time had a son and, and I had a brother and my dad brought my, my brother a big wheel and then it went missing. And then all of a sudden, the next door neighbor, the child had a big wheel. And uh, I went over and looked at it and I knew it was my brother's because we we had made a, a little nick in it. You know, those they were plastic. And I don't know if you're old enough to remember the big wheels, but there was a, a, a little nick in the plastic. So, I told the boy, you know, you need to give my brother his big wheel back. And he said his dad bought it. So, as a nine year old, I marched up to this grown man and told him to show me the receipt. <laughs> but I was always like that. And, and I, you know, I was always kind of like the maybe a little bit nerdy, make good grades in school. And uh, my, my father said, if I got good grades and cleaned my room up, I could have anything I wanted. So, that was a great deal for me. <laughs> I went to high school, graduated with honors, went to, I went to Tuskegee Institute my freshman year. And that was a great time. But being that the tuition was high because it was private, and I found out that the business school back then wasn't accredited, transferred to the University of Georgia, graduated from there. My father, maybe about when I was 15 or 16, came in the house with the Black Enterprise magazine, and he flipped it open. And he said, you need to read this. Uh, You need to find one of these careers because you like nice things. And it was the 100 best careers for black people. Mm -hmm. And I looked at it. I said, I don't want to be a doctor because I don't really like blood. Mm -hmm. I don't want to be an engineer. My uncle was already in college and studying to be an electrical engineer. And I saw his books. I said, no. Mm -hmm. So I said, okay, I want to be an accountant then because I'm pretty good with math. So even at the age of 15, 16, I knew that I was going to be an accountant. I went on through school, got the degree in accounting, Got the CPA, working in corporate America. First, I worked for CPA firms. That was interesting. Mm -hmm. And I stayed at them until I got tired of the traveling to all of these little bitty towns. I went to corporate America and immediately knew that wasn't for me. One of the things that my father taught me when I was younger, or he drilled in my head, was, if you don't like where you are at point A, go to point B. Do not complain. So in that, if I felt like I didn't like something... I moved on. So I moved on out of corporate America because as you and I know, corporate America is very, very political. It's not necessarily about what you know. A lot of times it's about who you know and what you do with who you know. And Mm -hmm. I wasn't having that. So I went on line or not online. Sorry. I went to the newspaper. I saw a newspaper one day looking through ads and saw. An ad for an IRS agent. I'm thinking to myself, okay, I don't know what this is, but it, it it looks like it's a lot of math, and it might be something that I like. So, I actually interviewed and was hired on the spot to be an IRS agent. And this was 1987. I started in January of 1988. And as an IRS agent, I was there are different divisions of the IRS. So the IRS agents are the ones that more than likely have a, a higher degree, and they go out and to businesses and do audits. They don't. They don't take care of the people that come into the IRS. Mm-hmm. They audit the businesses, and it was a very, very interesting seven and a half years. I moved up a lot in rank, and because I did my job well, you know, it, and it wasn't depending on someone else. If I got some cases and I did well, then I did well. If I didn't, I didn't. It was all dependent on me. So I had very interesting cases. I had someone uh, let their dogs out on me as i was coming up the driveway and because i ran track i was able to get back (laughs) to my car and open it and get in in time with that big old briefcase you know the gigantic briefcases that they give you yeah Uh, it barely made it in but i was angry you know so people do things like that don't do things like that when you have an irs agent around because you end up and you know they're gonna they're gonna dig deeper put it like that And, you know, I had cases where I had to get wired up to take a bribe because, you know, the person offered a bribe and we were told to go ahead with it if they did. Had to go to court. So all of that stuff. But, David, I quit the IRS in 1995 for family reasons. People think that I quit because I found out, you know, some things about the IRS, but I didn't. Um, My family was getting less of my time. I was coming home with headaches. Because at that time, I'd moved up to corporations, and I was dealing with people, CPAs and attorneys. Mm. And we were fighting and slamming our hands down on the table. And that was just a lot. And as a mother, I felt convicted because my children weren't getting, you know, the time. And my husband wasn't getting the time. They were getting me, but I was drained by the end of the day. Mm. And I didn't have another job. I just quit. Came home and then didn't do anything but, you know, be at home for about a year. Uh, June Cleaver. <laughs> and i fi- mm. i figured i wanted a little bit more than that so i opened a cpa firm and that is when people started to approach me and talk about the things that they learned about the income tax being misrepresented and misapplied what mm. people were saying is oh we're not supposed to be having this income tax they put this on us and it's not legal and i you know i took that information in but at some point i started to do research and that point was in 2000 when a newspaper, a USA Today, ad came out, and there was a fifty thousand uh, dollar reward if you could prove that we had to file and pay taxes. So I said, "Okay, I have my codes, I have my regulations, I have all these, you know, books that I can study here, and I also had some information on the other side." So I studied and studied and studied, and I really couldn't find anything definitive concerning the income tax. Now. The definitive laws about the excise tax and all other kinds of taxes. It basically says what the tax is, who should pay, when they should pay, and all that. But with the income tax, they, they, they skirted around talking about taxable income and gross income and net income, but there was no definition of income. And when I finally found the definition of income, it was in the Supreme Court cases. Income is corporate profits. So that and a whole bunch of other information I found out, one of the other key features that made me start speaking out is that I found out that the Federal Reserve isn't federal. It's wealthy banking families. And the money that they collect doesn't go towards, you know, the money that they collect in taxes from us goes towards paying the Federal Reserve. It doesn't go towards the roads. That's the gas tax. It doesn't go towards your property tax, your schools and your policemen and your firemen, because that's your property taxes. So there's a grace report. The grace commission report came out in 1984. It was commissioned by Ronald Reagan. And it says not a nickel of this money that's collected in income tax goes towards running the country. Where is it going? To these wealthy banking families. And I started thinking about sometimes I was working 16 hours a day in my little basement office trying to just have a good life and make sure we have a vacation. And these Rockefellers and the Rothschilds and all those never work a day in their life. Their children, children, even their their the people that are in their families, the ones that aren't even born yet, will never have to work because they're siphoning off the money from us. So I got this picture in my office, and it's some slaves in a cotton field,
0: mm-hmm. and it
1: says, "If stealing the product, if stealing one hundred percent of the product of someone's labor is slavery, at what percentage is it not slavery?" Mm-hmm. Boom, and it's like, okay, all of us are slaves. Doesn't matter what color you are—red, green, mm-hmm. blue. The power elite wants to make sure that they keep us all fighting each other about race and about religion and about politics and all this stuff is just a big kabuki dance while they continue to siphon off our life energy. And I want to just give an example right quick. Yeah. David, if I come to your house and you you commission me to cut your grass, your front and your backyard, all right? Mm -hmm. I say, okay, I'll, I'll do that for $100. I use my brain, right? I use my arms and my legs. I've used my life energy in exchange, in exchange for the $100. Mm-hmm. That's an even exchange. But they tax that. So they're going to take 51% of that between the state, federal, and all these other taxes. So I'll only have $51. And if you flip it over, like let's say to Walmart, in in a day, the smallest Walmart might bring in $100,000 $100, gross. But they have they have uh, rent and they have utilities. They have to pay the employees. And let's say after all that's done, they only have twenty thousand dollars left. They only get taxed on the twenty thousand dollars. So that's the problem. I mm. get taxed on the whole hundred hundred dollars. They only get taxed on the twenty thousand after all their expenses. Well, my expenses are my my brain and my life energy.
0: Mm-hmm. And it,
1: and that's just an example that I give people to understand the people who are staunchly oh we got to pay taxes. think about that think about that Mm -hmm. so they eventually me and some other former irs agents and people got together we started speaking out we started having seminars and uh aaron russo that made trading places with eddie murphy and the rose with bet midler decided to do a documentary about the irs called america freedom to fascism and he flew us out to hollywood and we did this and the government was livid so they started actually coming after most of these people that, you know, were speaking out against the income tax, they, did, they didn't come with a new law or they didn't sit us down and say, you know, you all are mistaken. Here's the law. They didn't do that. They just started prosecuting us. I was one of many that was prosecuted. I wasn't the only one that was convicted, but I was because the judge would not let me talk to the jury about what I found in the law. She would not let me read the Supreme Court cases and the state Supreme Court cases like Tennessee State that says, no, this is the income is corporate property. And uh, because they had prosecuted a couple of people before me and the ones before me won their cases. Hmm. So they knew, they went back to the drawing board and said, we can't let these people talk about what they learned because the jury's going to listen. So, um, and it's interesting because it was a misdemeanor charge because I didn't file a tax return. That's a misdemeanor. But what they did, because they were so angry at me, is they stacked four years on top of uh, together. So they did not charge me consecutively, um, concurrently for one one charge. They, they did it concurrent. So I had a four-year sentence on a misdemeanor. And David, there are people out there that have done horrible things to children, and they didn't, they didn't get four years because they wanted to shut me up. And when the judge, uh, when she sentenced me, this is what she said, and this is how she said it. I know you homeschool your children, Miss Jackson. And mm-hmm. I know you got a lot of family support, but you can't run around the country telling people not to file income tax returns. And I looked at her and I, I dead in the eye and I said, I've never done that. So that just let me know that it wasn't about the fact that I decided to keep what I earned. It was about the fact that I was telling everybody else, hey, check this out. I wasn't telling people what to do. We made a pact
0: mm-hmm. not
1: to tell anybody what to do. We, we, you know, I would say, this is what I would say. Do your own research, do your own due diligence and decide whether you want to be a slave or get off the plantation. They didn't like mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. So I ended up with a four year sentence. I spent three years in federal prison as a misdemeanor with all. I was the only misdemeanor in the whole prison. And, uh, you know, God is good. He, he, I learned a lot of lessons. I learned a, about people because I had been in my little Christian bubble with my little Christian friends and their mm-hmm. little Christian children. And he popped that bubble to, to let me see what was really going on in the world. And since then, you know, I came out, started my own business and have been teaching people 99% of the people aren't going to try to cut the head off the beast like I did and go straight at them. Yeah. But they will starve the beast. So what my motto is now, starve the beast, go ahead and stay within the system, do the taxes. But there are so many things that you can do to reduce that tax, sometimes even to zero. And so Mm. that's what I teach now.
2: Wow. Wow so many questions so many uh points i want to i mean well well thank you for your your stand and your boldness and um your fortitude so when you when you when you think about it dr jackson what, when you when you think about your most dominant gift and going back to as a child right and seeing injustice and what is that gift what is your dominant gift
1: so I took this test, and it was teaching administration and exhortation. So I think it's teaching. Mm. Yeah, and and that was a, a, a something that we did at church, and it was maybe twelve categories, and those were my dominant teaching and admi- and exhortation were the first, and then right up under that administration. So basically, I'm here to to help the people that don't know what's going on. Monitor what's going on and then act in their lives accordingly. Specifically in this day and time after the pandemic and everything, Mm -hmm. things have changed a lot and people are confused. I think the number one thing that I hear out of people is
0: uncertainty. Mm -hmm. And that's
1: a dangerous place to be. And a lot of people are angry because they realize that some things have been done to them over the past several years that aren't right.
0: Mm -hmm. So
1: instead of taking it out on other people, instead of taking it out on the road, I had to take my granddaughter to school this morning and, you know, it's running lights is a common thing now. But we need to focus our energy on ourselves and our family. How can we help ourselves? How can we keep more money in our pockets? How can we protect the assets that we have and how can we grow them? So that's my motto in my, my system is the KPG system. Keep, protect, grow. So that's what I teach.
2: Mm, beautiful. So I got a series of questions and I'm, I'm just picturing the questions that listeners would say if they were able to speak. The first question I have is, what did you see in the system that initially, before you knew, before you even knew about income tax being a a, a fraudulent thing, what did you see in the system?
1: You know, you don't look. And that's what I learned. It's like, you just go along with everybody else. You don't even think about these things. So me as a, a a person thought, this is what I'm being told: get a good education so that you can get a good job and you can make decent money and then you can retire. That's the American dream. So everybody's taught that when they're young, the American dream. By the time I was 25 years old, I realized that that was a delusion mm-hmm. because of the injustices that were going on. Even if you did get a good education and a good and, and a good job. Then you weren't going to achieve the things that the power elite achieve because they're they're doing it in a crooked way. They're taking advantage. Do you realize that the top salaries in the United States, those people make more in a day than people make all year. Then a lot of people make all year. So these that injustice thing kicked up to make me see that the system was crooked. The system was rotten. Mm. Also, my uh, the assistant principal in my high school called my parents into a meeting and told my parents that I need to, they need to push me towards law school mm. because of the because of a lot of things that happened in high school. <laughs> and I knew even in high school that I did not want to be a lawyer because I knew that even the lawyers were corrupt, even in high school. So yeah, yeah. I saw a corrupt system, but on the, on the surface, I still thought that I should go, you know, and do the things that normal people do. And, mm. you know, that bubble bust, you know, maybe about...
0: 1999
2: Mm. if you can if you're able to speak what did you see within the irs working for the irs that that kind of like alarmed you
1: this is what i saw okay so there think about everybody from the person who has a job at verizon all the way up to a corporate officer these are the people In the audit population, everybody should be in the audit population. What I saw, which is still going on today, is they go after the low-hanging fruit. They don't, they're afraid to go after these high-end corporations and partnerships because what they've done is they've devised all of these ways to protect themselves and to hide assets and to shield themselves. For example, if you take an onion right now and peel it back, I can see your face if you're just mom and pop or you just have a job. But if you have a corporation with different branches, you got LLCs, you got trusts, and all that, then as long as I'm pulling that onion apart, I can't see you. And, and they've done that. And the IRS doesn't have the capability to have people go in there and do that. A very limited capability. So the injustice that I saw in there was that they were auditing small businesses and some of them were put out of business. Because they would go in and say, "Oh, you did this wrong. You did that wrong," and you know, a heavy, a a business that's only bringing in one hundred fifty thousand dollars, just bringing that in. I'm not talking about their net, and they get slapped with a thirty thousand dollar tax bill because they did something wrong. You know, they're in jeopardy. I I, I saw marriages break up. I saw all kinds of different things. But this is this is the kicker. When I started auditing the, the partnerships and the larger corporations. There were deals being made. These these companies would do things on their tax returns that they were playing audit roulette. In other words, I'm going to take these deductions here and they're probably not deductible, but I'm going to take it hoping that I won't get audited. When they get audited, I had one case I'll, I'll use as an example. I audited them. And they were doing all kinds of stuff in there. And that, that tax that was due on that was somewhere around $130,000. I turned that case in. Now, these corporations, they all have attorneys and CPAs so they can appeal. These mom and pops, they don't have an appeal. That's who I am now. Because when people have IRS problems, they can come to me and behind the scenes, I can help them. But this corporate, this company had attorneys come in. So go back. So the procedure is if, you, if you're if you going to appeal the case, then the agent that actually assessed the tax gets a rebuttal. So if the CPAs and attorneys come in and say, we don't, we don't believe we owe this tax because such and such and such, then I will come back and say, yes, you owe this tax because of whatever. Well, that particular case went in. And then one day I was passing by the the secretary's desk and I saw the case on her desk. So I picked it up. It's my case. I closed it a while ago. It had been over a month since I closed it. What is it doing back? I opened it up. And, and literally, they had taken that, that, that tax down from about $130,000 to $25,000. Now, remember, I told you the protocol was it was supposed to come back to me first. So I went to my manager and I said, Mike, what's going on here? You know, this case was a big case. It wasn't a huge case, but it was a pretty big case, $130,000. And what is this down to $20,000 or whatever? Yeah. He looked at me and he said, Sherry, leave it. So what I found out is deals are made, and I literally heard I've heard people tell me to my to my face that will the the IRS attorneys make deals with the corporate attorneys, and one of the deals that was made is we will we'll, and not not on this particular case, but they'll say something like, okay, well you know you you know we really see that this agent did a good job and and you really owe this, but if you if you get me a date with the lady on the second floor that secretary up on the second floor with the with the heavy chest then I'll take it I'll take it down some. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, so the mom and pop what I saw in in summary David was mom and pop were getting beat down. And then the larger the corporation, the less oversight and the less audits and stuff like that. And that's a big injustice because I'm for the little people. Right. And the small businesses are the backbone of this country. Right. And as they're getting siphoned money siphoned off, then we're losing the backbone.
2: Wow. This is wow, this is disheartening. And and see, this is this is even before you get knowledge of the income tax being a being and like so you're already seeing you already have so I'm I'm just kind of painting the picture. You already have a natural disposition towards fighting for those that are um, being marginalized or oppressed—that's you, your natural disposition, based on even as a child with your brother's um, bike and things of that nature. And and you're seeing this now in this, in the system. It's it's kind of like wow, this is horrible. And then on you leave, not for any reason, but to, to to spend more time with your family. And then you're now brought more more things around to to show that this system is kind of uh, fraudulent and. And and you learn about this income tax. So uh, a few, few questions on the income tax side, right? Because somebody's going to hear this and be like, wait, how can the income tax be a fraud? Like how I like if you could exp- explain one, explain one, how the income tax is a fraud in the, the history. I know you've broken it down to me, but I would love for the listeners to hear. And two, what can a person do? Because if they stand up like you stood up, I don't know if they're going to face the necessary consequences that you did because you were kind of more voicing the challenges with the maybe a person may not voice it but what can a person do if they want to take this path and say you know what i'm going to stand up too and and i'm not up here to these false fraudulent ways of doing things
1: okay so to the first question there's a lot of research that went into it um first of all there's a after the war after world war ii there was brenton woods and they made some agreements they had the tax coming out of people's Checks. They had what was back then, we call it now a payroll tax, and that was to fund the war. Well, they realized they liked that money, and after the war was over, it was literally supposed to go away. But they wanted to keep that money coming out. There is uh th- there's some constitutional things. So there's there's a book by um Mr. Benson, and it's called The Law That Never Was. Bill Benson went to mm-hmm. every state. And found that the 16th Amendment wasn't ratified, which which is the the tax is supposed to be on other countries for Mm. the privilege of coming into our country to do business. Mm. It's not supposed to be on us. And it's it's really detailed and it's really hidden and it's scattered. And somebody would have to do a whole lot of research. But there's research out there to show that the income tax, we're not supposed to be taxed on our labor. We're not Mm -hmm. supposed to be taxed on our labor. Uh, if we have a company and we open that company, just like what I, what I said with Walmart, if my company makes $100,000 and then I get to deduct all of those expenses and then pay on the net. But our our even in the the founding documents, life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness, um, uh, all men are supposed to be created equal with unalienable rights, not inalienable. I don't know where that came from, but unalienable Mm -hmm. unalienable rights means your rights can't be lean my -hmm. right to go out and do labor without it being taken away from me without the fruit of that labor being taken away from me is supposed to be unalienable Mm -hmm. and i didn't want to get too deep into all of that stuff but the the research is out there i did the research not only me all of the people that are in that movie america freedom to fascism uh did the research Mm -hmm. for example joe bannister was a criminal investigation division at the irs and he did research before I did research. He wrote a, a report while he was still at the IRS to his superiors with all of his detailed, um, his detailed research. He did this research on the weekends. He flew to different people that were talking about it because he's the one that's supposed to be stopping people from this crime of not filing and paying. And he heard from a woman, he read her little book, he called her and started asking her questions. And at the end of that conversation, she says, you know the truth now. What are you going to do about it? So he started doing this research and flying around. He went to Bill Benson. He went to other people. And he came out with a, a pretty thick report. He gave it to his superiors at the IRS. And they came back to him and said, you need to take a week off and decide whether you're going to stay here or resign. Yeah. So these are these are the things that you hear. You know, you got to do your patriotic duty. You got to pay your fair share. I think, I think a lot of us have paid our fair share. I think that the, the descendants of slaves have paid our fair share. I think that the veterans have paid their fair share.
2: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, so if a person says, Hey, I have this, like, let's say a person says, Hey, I'm not paying my income taxes. Uh, I, I have the proof here. What would happen to somebody that decides to do this?
1: It depends on what level they are. If they're, if they're an employee quote-unquote, and they're working for a company, the company's just going to start taking it out. For the IRS is going to call the company and say, well, write the company and say, this person isn't paying. Uh, You need to take out at single zero. So they just started taking the money out. Mm. Somebody that is a, that does not have a W... Okay, let me go back. The IRS has to prove income. You have to prove expenses. The way the IRS proves income is through the W-2, the 1099, the K-1, and all those forms that you receive, those forms represent a sworn affidavit that you received for taxable income. So when the company that you work for or the, the contract that you're doing, when they send those forms in to the IRS, then what? And I call the IRS the insidious representatives of Satan because that's who they are. They they're taking money from us, and we have families, and we have projects, and we have things that we want to do, especially things you know in ministry. And they're just siphoning that money off. But those forms come in and then they, they're they put on a report and that report says, David had made, you know, 70, $80,000 here. And then they're looking to see if there's any tax. So the computer's going to come out and say, oh, he didn't pay any tax. And you're going to get a letter and say, hey, you made $70,000 and there's no tax taken out. We're getting ready to call the company you work for or write them and tell them to take tax out, you know, a whole bunch of tax out. That's what happens to normal people. They don't really bother people that make under like 40 some thousand dollars because they realize that that person probably has enough deductions to zero it out anyway. But those that are in business, like I said, the the mom and pop ones that are making between a hundred and three, four hundred thousand dollars, they get the hammer. And somebody that speaks out about it, like me, are the only people that they they try to convict. Put it like that. Mm -hmm. They're not going to really try to convict an individual that's just you know, holding on to their money. They go after people that have jury appeal. I had jury appeal because by then I was making six figures in my, my CPA business. They go after, you know, they went after a Delta pilot. He was making, you know, they're not going to go after the nurse, the fireman, the policeman, because the jury pool is going to say that person is just like me. I'm not going to convict them because he's, you know, they're saving our lives and stuff. They're not going to go after that, that mm-hmm. person. They're going to go after anybody that's making, as a matter of fact, in my trial, At least nine times during that trial, the guy started talking about, well, in in 2000, she made $150,000 and in 2001, she made $130,000, you know, just, you know, making the jury hate the fact that I was making this money and not paying tax on it. And they didn't, they didn't realize that I was keeping what I earned legally. Mm. So people that don't, I, I don't recommend anybody stop filing or stop paying. I don't do that. I don't recommend that. Mm-hmm. That's trying to cut the head off the beast.
0: Okay.
1: Since the income tax law or the, the the codes were written for businesses, and Donald Trump spilled the beans back when he was debating Hillary Clinton, uh, Hillary came out and said Donald Trump didn't pay his taxes, and everybody said, <gasps> <gasps> you know, sucked all the air out of the room. It's like he said, I'm a smart man. What they what happens is the Congress writes the law for the IRS. The corporations have the Congress in their back pocket. And the, so basically the corporations write the law. They write all kind of credits into the law. If you, if you notice several, co- if you go out and Google the corporations that did, didn't pay any taxes because they get, they get the Congress to do what they want. And then the people in the IRS hear from Congress about laws to put in there.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: One specific law I, I want to bring up, the Augusta rule. Yes. In Augusta, Georgia, they have the masters tournament. They went in because those wealthy people that live around that golf course wanted to rent their homes out to the golf clubs that come in from all over the world. Mm. They wanted to rent their houses out, but they didn't want to pay tax on it. So they went in and had the IRS come up with the Augusta rule. Mm. The Augusta rule says that you can rent out your personal home for up to 14 days without paying any tax on the money that you make. I've seen those mansions. I looked them up. I've seen the prices that they charge. Some of them are charging upwards of $10,000 a day. Mm. So they can make $10,000 for 14 days in a row from the golf club that comes in from Japan or Australia or whatever, and not have to pay tax on that. Wow, wow. The good thing about that is that we can use the Augusta rule also. So during the 1996 Olympics in Atlanta, I used the Augusta rule and had Mm -hmm. someone rent out my home or a room in my home and use the money that they gave me that was not taxed to pay for one of my kids' uh, private school tuition for that year. Beautiful. So what we have to do, this is what we can do. This is your second question. Mm -hmm. What we can do is use the tax code to our advantage, just like the wealthy are using it the first thing everybody needs to do is go get a home-based business. Mm. A job will not take you to wealth. You need a home-based business so you can write off everything but the kitchen sink. Legitimate business, legitimate write-offs, but it can even reduce your W-2 if you have a job.
2: That's right. That's genius. I love that. Um, So, Dr. Jackson, I I know this is a little controversial, but if we could get into now you're being presented all this information and and I'm sure it's just kind of like anything the more you know the more you realize you don't know that's being done and some of the things that are in the impressions and you mentioned that a lot of the wealth from these um income tax goes is siphoned off to to a few families right so uh the the question that comes to mind is wait wait how is this possible right like and how are people unaware Uh, that it's a few families that, and I feel like I've known this since college, but but to hear it from you, someone who's done the research, done the homework, like you think, oh, these people are conspiracy theorists. They're just throwing things on YouTube, like, and and they're just making up claims. But to hear from somebody who has factual data, factual proof um, that a majority of our system is built in a fraudulent way that the reserve bank is not real it's not american owned it's 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 not even a u.s government entity uh it's it's ruled it's by a few families that run everything and then so i would like for you to speak on two things in this regard right like how can that happen one right and how how does that go underneath the noses of most people and then two um if you don't mind speaking about the documentary because the gentleman who created the documentary was soon, I believe, killed um, from helping to publicize this information that you all know.
1: Okay, how did this happen? The, the, the great way to find out and to research would be to read G. Edward Griffin's book, The Creature from Jekyll Island. Mm. The Rockefellers and the Rothschilds and the, and the Morgans and all those went out to. Jekyll Island, I think it was 1909, and then they devised this plan. The income tax was created in 1913. Hmm. It was voted into law on Christmas Day or the day after Christmas when nobody was around. So that's how these things happen. They do these things behind closed doors. They came down on different trains so that the media wouldn't realize that all of these wealthy men were going to the same place at the same time. So the creature from Jekyll Island is an 800-page book. After I read that, that's when I that's the key. That was the straw that broke the camel's back to make me start speaking out because I realized these people are, are taking all this money to stay wealthy, and then I'm struggling. You know, back then it was in 2000 around around that time, and that business was going well, but I was working a lot of hours. I would literally, David. I had a contract, a, a pretty nice contract with the state of Georgia where I was auditing daycare centers and I would have to take the reports downtown. I had to literally pull off the road on the way in the morning because I stayed up all night, you know, and I was getting sleepy. Those kinds of things. Mm.
0: That's
1: not that's not what life is supposed to be. Right. But when you look at the people who are stealing from us, they have a different kind of lifestyle. So this is and how it can happen. That's what happened. They devised this plan to make sure that the Federal Reserve, which is not federal and it doesn't have any reserves, and the Federal Reserve is collecting at least $50,000 50, uh, $50, an hour. They earn that in interest. If you go to the debt clock, put put Google the debt clock, you'll see how that debt is going up. And it's supposed to be where Congress is in charge of the money. They advocated their responsibility for our money and our finances to a private banking cartel. And it got up under the noses of some people, but there's there are those in media that keep it a secret for them. They go out and they meet in Davos and, and places in Australia and places in Switzerland every year. And they make these plans to keep themselves in power. So that's how it happened. Um, as far as people knowing about it, they keep us busy, David. They keep people's attention on... Their jobs and, and they keep them on, you know, the, the children and they keep them on television. I call the television the electronic income reducer and the electronic intellect reducer. Mm. Because as long as you're sitting there watching it until it watches you, you're not progressing. Mm. And they keep you in this perpetual come home, look at TV, go to bed, get up, go back to work and repeat situation. What you're watching on television is indoctrination. Mm. They're telling you what to think. They're telling you how to think. And as long as you're in there with them, they, I mean, this is there. There's a guy named Edward Bernays that was the master at, at he was a master spin doctor. And some of these people that the Rockefellers and all those hired came up with these slogans like every, that everybody knows, like there's nothing sure in life but death and taxes. When you have that in your head, it tells you, I have to pay taxes. But they don't. Remember, Leanne Hansley said only only the poor people pay taxes. And she was telling the truth. And they got, they got after her because they were angry at her telling the truth.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, yes, the, the, the way that we get caught up in this system and not know is we are ignorant of what's going on. And after you find out that something's going on, if you don't do the research, then you you change from ignorant to ignorant. Mm. Ignorant means you don't know. Ignant means you don't want to know. Mm. And I got another one, but I'll keep that one to myself. <laughs> but what we need to do as as people in general is to sit down and, and, and assess where our lives are right now. What is going on in my life? Am I progressing or am I on that hamster wheel? That's why I wrote the book How to Escape the Rat Race because we're we're in this rat race and you're on the hamster wheel do you want to get off the hamster wheel? There are ways to get off the hamster wheel, but they take you getting out of your comfort zone. Life begins at the end of your comfort zone. If you're not willing to get out of your comfort zone, if you're not willing to rock the boat a little bit, then you're going to have to stay on that hamster wheel. Mm -hmm. I am helping those that want to get off the hamster wheel. I'm helping those that say, you know what? I want a better life for my family. I want to be able to not just have to go to Orlando every summer or to Grandma's house in uh, California every summer. I want to be able to go to uh, South Africa. I want to be able to go to Italy. I want to be able to go to Costa Rica. Those people, it is possible, but you got to get up, you kabunkum, and do something about it.
2: Beautiful, I love it. And if you don't mind speaking to this documentary, right? So you're 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 one of I forget how many uh, in this documentary. This documentary comes out and uh, I ironically the 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 director goes missing
1: yeah uh aaron russo was a director in hollywood made trading places with eddie murphy made the roads with Bette midler i don't know what ticked him off about the irs but he wanted to do a documentary um and the documentary is out there online if you google america freedom and fascism you will see it there are several former irs agents in it um a former FBI agent in there. There are several constitutional attorneys and business people all speaking to the fact that they realized that the income tax was being misrepresented and misapplied to the American peace people. There's also one of the ladies that her, he, she had a trial. She went to trial and she 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 won her case because she was able to show the jury that you know I don't be, I don't believe what they're telling me. This is the research that I did. And David, they were so vindictive that even though she won her case, they took all of her stuff. She called me when they were they they raided her home. They took everything out of her home. David, they vacuumed the floor and took the vacuum cleaner. No joke. No joke at all. And that, you know, that bothers me. So Aaron Russo was he had some illnesses. He went offshore to take care of those illnesses. And then after the documentary came out and you can see him having a conversation with one of the IRS commissioners and he said something in Yiddish to him. And after that, Aaron supposedly got, you know, got sick again and and passed away. He's not the only one. There's so many people that stand up for what's right and they disappear. Mm. And I want to give a shout out to Dr. Butar, who was coming out against what they were doing with the vaccines and everything and here recently, I think it was May, um, they took him out wow. with poison. He got online a few, a, a few days before he passed away and said, I think I'm, I've been poisoned. And he was gone because he was bringing doctors together. And doctors started speaking out. They don't want a mass of people coming together. So they have to slap down everybody in the beginning. So everybody else will, you know, cower and be afraid. Wow. But, you know, obviously I'm, I come from Detroit. I, I learned early, you know, not to fear. My father had me, if anything that I was afraid of and he knew it, he would find a way to make me not be afraid of it. Wow.
2: And and that goes into your story, just like, okay, you, you, you're you put in prison for a misdemeanor and you're you've come out and, you know, you could easily just said, you know what, I'm going to ride off to the sunset. I know the truth. I'm not going to, I'm not going to share this anymore. I'm going to just focus on me and my family and I'm not going to say anything, but you still are.
1: I couldn't sleep at night knowing that I know people that are struggling, knowing that I know people that want a better life and not say what I know. I just, that's just not me. Mm -hmm. I mean, there might be a lot of people out there like that. If I don't do something now, what's going to happen to my grandchild? Mm. I only got one right now, but what's going to happen if, if, you know, if they're raping us like they're raping us right now, what's going mm-hmm. to happen uh, to the rest of our people? If we if if they can if we continue to acquiesce to injustice, injustice will take us over. What is that saying about the only only thing that it takes for bad men to to prevail is for good men to do nothing? And there's another one that I like. It's like uh, if you if you are uh, an, an honestly mistaken man. If an honestly mistaken man stumbles across the truth, from that point on, he is no longer mistaken, or he is no longer honest. Mm. Wow.
2: Profound. Um. So I I know you're super well studied, uh, well knowledgeable. You took so much time to develop your gifting and 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 to make you the teacher, the trainer, the exhorter you are today, and now you're going around to help other people get like you just said aware of the truth so talk to me about how you're distributing your gift now and how you're helping other people see the light see the truth you know reduce their tax burdens and uh live lives live lives that could make their lives more comfortable more more freeing
1: well there are different ways but mostly i try to get groups of people together and coach them those that say, you know what, I've got this corporate job or I've got this blue collar job and it's not working out. I'm, I, I see in the future that I'm going to be in the same place five years from now. Uh, scripture says be fruitful and multiply, which means that I'm supposed to be better than I was yesterday. And I'm not. So I want to do something about it. And I want to do something with someone who is doing it. Not I don't want to go back to school and do it, you know, and get it from some teacher that's sitting at a desk. I want to get it from someone who is walking the walk and talking the talk. So those people. They join my coaching program. We start out with finding a business for them that they can work and still keep their full-time job. And I and I and I, I stress that because you you can work a nine to five. Yes. When you come home, yes, take time to decompress. Take time to spend with your family. But do not sit there and do like this or this. After you've decompressed and spent time with your family, spend the rest of that evening building that home-based business. Taking that extra income and then putting some of it aside for your lifestyle account, putting some of it aside to get rid of debt, putting some of it aside to invest, not to go out and buy more cars and flat screen TVs. I help people. This is my motto or this is my mission. Before I leave this earth, I want to help over 100,000 people grow, start and grow successful home-based businesses. Mm. And a lot of that is going to fall into the tax arena because when you start a business, then you can start taking deductions because if you don't have a, you don't have a business, you can't deduct your cell phone. You don't have a business. You can't deduct your internet. You don't have a business. You can't, you know, pay your children to work for you and get a $13,000 deduction. That's right. So that's what I do. I enjoy doing that. I have a, I have a seminar coming up and, um, I actually will be taking on new and I do this for a year. I did an experiment and it's not working at a shorter period of time because sometimes it takes people a while to discover their gift and get confident in their gift and then start using it. So I, I, people walk with me for a year and then at that time they, they're clear about who they are. They're clear about what they do. They're clear about who they serve. And then they've got the whole system together to have their business running perpetually and then start branching off and getting hard assets. I take people, you know, in, in this program, one of the programs I have, I take them with me internationally. I have property in Costa Rica. I take them with me to Costa Rica, show them about internationalizing, show them how to build a legacy.
2: Beautiful. That's awesome. So where can people get plugged in with this and, and they um, learn more about the coaching and the offers and the programs that you have, or how should they reach out to you?
1: Yeah, my website, should. My I have two websites that are being merged right now and they should be merged, but the website is sherrypeeljackson.com and they can get in touch with me at connect at sherrypeeljackson.com to find out about the coaching programs. I just have two, two coaching programs, one for people who are basically just starting out and one for people who are a little bit more advanced and uh, they can get involved in these coaching programs and just come along because the teachings are online on mondays and tuesdays mondays for one class mondays and tuesdays for the other section and we go over everything in detail and they they do get to ask questions and a lot of times i've found that the questions that people are asking answer other people's questions
2: beautiful we're gonna plug that in the notes so where people can get get, uh take advantage of that wow this has been so enlightening um I have one final question that we always ask, and you weren't prepped on this question. Um, What's the difference between one's gift and one's purpose? One's gift and one's purpose.
1: Okay, so I I believe people have gifts. And when they have the gift and they, they grow that gift, they nurture that gift, then I believe that the Lord will show them their purpose after that. If they have a gift and they're not willing to utilize that gift. I've I've heard so many people say, you know, I knew I was supposed to do this 10 years ago. They might not get to nurture that gift and then understand their purpose. So as I nurtured the gift, I started seeing clearer that this is my purpose. So it's it's in step, you take baby steps. So I knew that I liked, you know, math. I knew that I liked accounting. I knew that, you know, I liked to help people and help the underdog. And then all of a sudden, the mission, you you develop a mission statement. My mission is to help over 100,000 businesses, people start and grow successful businesses. You get to that point where it comes to you, but it's not going to come to you unless you're looking for it.
2: Mm, That's good. Wow. Dr. Jackson, I can't say thank you enough for blessing the people today. Um, this is tremendous. We'll make sure to plug the notes where people can get plugged in, learn more about you, your coaching programs, and, and the amazing work you're doing. Keep the fight. Keep keep doing what you're doing. Keep inspiring. Keep elevating people to, to new heights and new levels. God bless you so much. Thank you. Thank much. you
1: for having me, David. Have a great day.
2: Thank you. You too. Uh, uh, I search all over
0: the world, struggling to find it. Dear
2: Listener. I would like to thank you so much for listening to How I Discover My Gift with yours truly, David D. Simons. As a token of my appreciation, I would love to give to you my most important piece of work to date, and it's called The Purpose Gift Tape. It's a motivational mixtape geared towards helping you to identify your gifts, which ultimately lead to you discovering your purpose. This is a six-track album I poured my heart and soul into. It includes beautiful beats an amazing spoken word over it. And I'd love to give that to you as a free gift, as a token of my appreciation for being a part of the community. So to get your copy, all you need to do is go to podcast.daviddsimons.com. That's podcast.david, the middle initial D, Simons, S-I-M-O-N-S dot com, and get yours today. Thank you for being a listener. I'll catch you on the next episode. How I Discover My Gift with David D. Simons is proud to be of the amazing and illustrious Alive Podcast Network.